Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast. An exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, 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 hey, everyone. Welcome to episode four. My name is Priyadarshini. And I'm Shama Sangeeta. And I'm Shamali. Welcome. So as we said, we're in chapter... We're in episode four. You know, our sound engineer, we, we kept forgetting all of the episode numbers, so our sound engineer put like a little piece of paper that has the number on episode four. Chapter one, we love. We are on the chapter one of the Bhagavad Gita. Text number 19? Yeah. We are going to go to text 19, but first, before we do that, I wanted to kind of remind everyone where we're at. So yep. We um, are reading the Bhagavad Gita. If you don't know, this was uh, set in the middle of a battlefield. It's a conversation between Krishna and Arjuna. And the gist of the conversation is there are two families here. Well, there's two brothers. One is evil. We call him Evil D. Evil D. Dhritarashtra. <laughs> his official name is Dhritarashtra. And he has a brother we call Polite Pandu. Polite Pandu. Pandu. And... Um, and so their the, sons basically are the same. One embodies righteousness, one evil. Right, yeah. So the evil, you know, evil D has a hundred sons. One of them is like the main antagonist of the story. And then on the positive side, uh, uh, Pandu. Pandu has one son, um, five sons, but uh, the main characters are Juna, right? So, right. so the reason this battle is happening is because um, they're fighting and the Pandavas, right? Pandu's sons, they are pious, good man. And um, Dhritarashtra, who is, you know, uh, Evil D's son. No, just kidding. That's Evil D. <laughs> oh my goodness, the names just got mixed up in my yeah, head. There's a lot of names. Even as you spoke, I was like, wait, wait, what? <laughs> Process the name I'm saying. Okay, start again, start again. Evil D has a mm-hmm. son named Duryodhana. Yeah. Right? So Duryodhana is trying to take away all the land. He's not the righteous heir but he feels like he should have it, that he should be his. All um, of it. If you want to know more about the details, please check out one of our previous episodes. But mm-hmm. the gist of it is they're in the battlefield. The pious man, the pious uh, Pandavas do not want to fight, but they're kind of put in the situation. And Arjuna is specifically in conflict because these are his family members and he does not want to have to fight with them. And so now we're kind of in chapter one. We're discussing the conversations that him and Krishna are having and, and trying to figure out what to do. Um, yeah, and chapter so. one is a lot of name dropping. So, it like, is. watch the previous episode if you want to know all the all these names. So, there's a lot of name dropping. <laughs> there's a lot of conch shell blowing, <laughs> and uh, we tried to give as much detail into like who's related to who and who hates who and who's beefing with who. So, as much as we <laughs> right. could, and so we're going to continue doing that in, in chapter one because this is just really setting the stage for the epic history to really pick up in its speed and momentum. Yep. Right. So are we ready? All yeah. right. Before we dive into text number 19, let's uh, do our incantation prayers. Yes, please. Ready? Om Ajnana Timirandasya Gyananjana Shalakaya Shakshurun Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gurave Namaha This is our prayer where we offer our respectful obeisances to our teachers and our gurus who have given us a lot of this knowledge and so we're paying respect to them. And again, trying to just imbibe the service attitude and the mood of humility that we try to uh, approach this ancient literature with. Love that. All right, text 19. Priya, why don't you Take us away. Chapter 1, text 19. The blowing of these different conch shells became uproar- 
uproarious. Uproarious. <laughs> Thank you. I was like, oh. It's not a common word. <laughs> uproarious. Uproarious. Um, also, English is not my first language. I'm sorry. All right. Uh, let me try that again. The blowing of these different conch shells became uproarious, vibrating both in the sky and on the earth. It shattered the hearts of the sons of Dhritarashtra. And who's Dhritarashtra again? The evil, the, the evil, evil brother. Evil son. Oh, yeah, yeah. The sons of Dishrashtra. So no, the, so oh, the evil. I'm sorry. No, that's not right. That is evil D. <laughs> but see, that's how confusing this first chapter <laughs> is. Like, I remember as a kid reading the first chapter and, like, putting it away because I was so confused by all these names and whatnot. And so we're going to try to just recap it. We're going to make mistakes, and that's totally okay. But the sons of Dhritarashtra are the sons of the evil guy, and all of them are evil. Yeah. <laughs> Dhritarashtra is evil D. Evil D. Yep. Evil D. Now we're getting somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> all right. So we were just talking about basically how this is all his fault. Yeah. He started it. Yeah. He's like a little instigator, right? I love and it, he yeah. didn't want like his brother's sons to inherit anything. He was like, nope, the Pandavas and the Korvas are going to say it was separate. And he was like literally just like instigating a little fight yeah. from the very beginning. And mm -hmm. even though it was Duryodhan who really had the envy towards all of his cousins, the Pandavas, in a way, like we said in the previous episode, he had such confidence that his advisors weren't going to do anything because they didn't try to even stop him. And that silence and non-action was in a way where they were siding. The most fascinating part for me is that even though Dutrasra wants his sons to like win this battle, he knows they're not going to. Oh and it's such a like interesting thing. And like it must be like heartbreaking, right? And, and that's actually what it says right here. It says, the hearts of the sons of Dutrasra were shattered by the sounds due to the Pandavas and their confidence in Lord Krishna. So like basically mm. these, they were hearing these conch shells and thinking like, oh my God, oh boy. we're in trouble. Right. <laughs> yeah. And that last sentence is beautiful. Right after what you read, one who takes shelter of the Supreme Lord has nothing to fear, even in the midst of the greatest calamity. Oh, that makes me feel so safe. Actually, that line. Yeah. Right. It's beautiful. So you oh. can imagine how... Durjodhana was feeling when he heard all these conch shells. It's like, oh but he would God. never admit it though. He's such, <laughs> like such a big ego. He's just Definitely. like, all right. Text, text number 20. twenty. At that time, Arjuna, the son of Pandu, seated in the chariot bearing the flag marked with Hanuman, took up his bow and prepared to shoot his arrows. O king, after looking at the sons of Dhrashtra drawn in military array, Arjuna then spoke to Lord Krishna these words. Okay, and in the purport, it gives a little just recap. So the battle's about to begin. It's understood from the above statements that the sons of Dhritarashtra were super disheartened by the unexpected arrangement, a uh, military arrangement by the Pandava force. We all, we're set. The story is about to take off. Okay, but this is, there's a flag on the chariot of mm. Hanuman. <laughs> Who is Hanuman? What's going on? Okay, let's dive oh, into that. Yes. Um, so there's a story of another book, the Ramayan, right? And the main character of this book is Ram, right? Okay. So who's Ram? Okay, so I think also the, another way that it was explained is like there's different avatars of Krishna or Vishnu, yes. right? And so Ram is one of those avatars. Right. Also right. Buddha is one of those avatars too. And an important kind of side note is there's many different traditions within India that believe in many different gods. So mm -hmm. let's just clarify a second. You know, avatars are kind of like incarnations or yes. demigods, different, forms, different of. forms of. There is one source and they're all coming from that one main Love candle them. like we had yeah, said. Yeah, and I, I think this will be reiterated in the Bhagavad Gita but the reason these avatars come, right? Mm -hmm. Why do they come? And they come throughout different times for different purposes. I mean, it's ultimately it's the same purpose, but with different sort of moods, mm -hmm. right? So Krishna's coming here because there is a vast amount of 
unpious, like lacking religion, lacking morals, kind of man leading the world yeah. at this moment. And he's saying like, hey, listen, you Pandavas, like you got these people that are not good for the world. They cannot continue to exist, right? So Krishna is mm -hmm. coming in that position. Now Ram was came to represent what the right, like how to properly rule, mm -hmm. like how to show to be an exemplary ruler, right? Yeah. So like, I think Krishna comes in different avatars to show kind of different aspects right. of mm -hmm. what we, yeah. you know. When there's a lot of evil in the world, essentially God descends at different time periods throughout history to establish righteousness again, right? right. So it's happened with Buddha too. During the time of Buddha, there was a lot of animal killing and a lot of just like murdering. And like, so, so Buddha actually came to establish the principles of Ahimsa, right? So Krishna right. descends in these different forms and these different avatars to uphold righteousness again but it's all krishna that is it's so fascinating krishna. there's a whole cosmic realm that they're just they're they're keeping tabs on us what, what, what we are doing here on earth and then <laughs> sending you know avatars to target the different issues that are manifesting in right humankind. So, in, so in this case ram the story of ram is that his wife gets kept kidnapped by a uh, man named ravana who's a demon yep um and the gist of the story, because if you want to learn the whole story, like we said, you can go read the Ramayana. And it's also like the story of Diwali too. So, Oh, yeah. cool. That's mm -hmm. right. Um, so the gist of the story is that Hanuman, who is a monkey, but not like a regular monkey. He's like a very powerful, powerful and intelligent. And like he has all kind of superpowers too. Um, he helps um, Lord Ram rescue Sita, who is his wife. And so this is kind of um, showing that having this flag is kind of an auspicious sign, right? Like it's showing that they're going to be victor victorious because Hanuman was successful in rescuing Sita, right? Yeah, I love that. <clears throat> That's kind of cool. It is super cool. I actually really love this because um, the name for this, so the name, when Arjuna is the one that has the flag with Hanuman on it, his name is Kapitwaj. And that's, that's your actually, brother's name. Yeah, that's my brother's name. So it's really cool to I see love it. That. You might have noticed we all have slightly different names, not the John, Sally, Marys. Yeah. Of the group. <laughs> Whenever someone that's pauses so before they read something, I'm like, ah, that's me who's about to come. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happened all the way, all the time in school. All right. The teacher's like, uh, uh, uh. I'm like, that's me. I'm <laughs> uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so basically here we're just saying that all the good counsel was available to Arjuna in the matter of executing the battle. Yeah, in such con uh, in such auspicious conditions, arranged by the Lord for His eternal devotees, lay the signs of assured victory. Everybody knows who's going to win. This is great. <laughs> I love it. I think it's kind of crazy that we already know who's going to win because it's like we're starting this story right now. Mm -hmm. yep. You know. Mm. Yep. But hey, they know. All right. He's Text number twenty one and twenty two. So Arjuna said, "O infallible one, please draw my chariot between the two armies so that I may see those present here." Who desire to fight and with whom I must contend in this great trial of arms. This is an interesting part in the in the purport. They'll say, why is Krishna called infallible? Because he never fails in his affection for his devotees. I love that. It's just mm. another nickname for right. Krishna. Yeah. Right. And it's an interesting to note because here Krishna accepted the position of a charioteer for his devotee Arjuna. And I don't know if any of you have 
uh, the listeners have been to India, you see the position of a charioteer, you're very close to the feet of the person in the chariot. So Krishna accepted this all-powerful being accepts such a humble position oh, of yeah. a server. Mm-hmm. He is really laying out what we should be doing by embodying it himself. Yeah. Krishna's related to everybody, but Krishna didn't want to participate in the actual fighting of the war. He's like, Arjuna, I'm going to be your charioteer. Right. And so it's kind of beautiful to see God like taking a more humble position, you yeah, know? Yeah, exactly. I mean, it says here, since he, uh, since he, Krishna, is master, everyone is under his orders and no one is above him to order him. But when he finds that a pure devotee is ordering him, he obtains transcendental pleasure. Like he actually takes pleasure in like serving his devotees, which is, I, I mean, unheard that. of and just like amazing. That's right. beautiful. Yeah, it says the relationship between the Lord and his servitor is very sweet and transcendental. And in fact, the Lord, like Priya said, is always seeking an opportunity to render service to the devotee. Very sweet. Wow. So like furthermore, like we're talking, so Arjuna's kind of like, hey, can you just take me to like the middle of the battlefield? And I want to see who all is there. And the reason he wanted to see them, it says right here, he says he wanted to see them again and to see how much they were bent upon demanding an unwanted war. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he really doesn't mm-hmm. want to fight. He's kind of like, why are these people here? And are are they really sure they want to do this? I mean, they've already tried to not have the battle. It's kind of they known. negotiated, yeah. And <laughs> what a different mood, like the past episode where we laid out Duryodhan talking to his advisors while looking at the battlefield, and he's like, "We're gonna kill their skill. Them. I got them. I can <laughs> beat them. Can I'm stronger." But Arjuna's yeah. mood is completely mm. different. Yeah. All right. Text number twenty-three. Let me see those who have come here to fight, wishing to please the evil-minded son of Dhritarashtra. Oh, I really like this verse. Um, I mean, not like I love this verse, but I mean, I just thought it was really interesting because um, in the purport, we learn that everyone knows that Durjodhana wanted to take the kingdom from the Pandavas by evil plans. And so, like, it's not a hit, like, the whole world or whoever is partaking in this knows this. And there's still people on his side, on the evil side, feeling like, okay. And so here it says, therefore, all persons who have joined the side of Durjodhana must have been birds of the same feather. Birds of the same feather flock together. That's right. They're all evil. That shows you that there, there's a saying like, you tell me who you associate with and I'll tell you who you are. Yeah. So yeah. you know what? Tell me who your friends are. Yeah. Even if like the evil people, if we think we're not taking a decision through non-action, that might be the very source of our decisions and downfalls. Oh yeah. That's 100%. True. All right. Text, Text number 24. 24. Sanjaya said, O descendant of Bartha, having thus been addressed by Arjuna, Lord Krishna drew up the fine chariot in the midst of the armies of both parties. Okay, so remember, Sanjaya is the secretary of or the advisor, blind, uh, yeah. or the advisor of the blind king, Dhritarashtra, right? And so Sanjaya has this beautiful ability where he can actually see things, um, both past and present, that that are not in the same room as him, basically. I think he was even just gifted that ability for the sake of the battlefield so he could inform Dhritarashtra. He begged the Lord, Krishna, please grant me this vision. So he gave it to Sanjaya. Pretty sure. Oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yep. And so basically Krishna is listening to his devotee and he says, okay, cool. And then he brings the chariot to the middle of the battlefield. And this is such an epic image. When you think of the Bhagavad Gita is like Krishna bringing the chariot and there's two armies on on both sides. Mm. Yeah. So in the purport, it kind of talks about um, Arjuna being referred to as Gudakesha. 
or Gudakesa, I'm not sure. Um, but we don't really see that in the English translation. Interesting, yeah. Right? And I, I was like, oh, where did that come from? But actually, if you look at the Sanskrit, you can see that that's one of the words used, right? So it's a more of a Prabhupada giving us a little bit more insight of what, like, the nickname that he's being called. And what is that nickname and what does it mean, <laughs> right? It's an yep. interesting one to unpack. Yeah. Um, so it says that... Uh, <clears throat> Gudaka means sleep, and one who conquers sleep is called Gudakesha. Sla uh, sleep also means ignorance. So it's like someone who conquers ignorance and sleep. Yeah. Right. So a healthy amount of sleep is good. We all need to be functioning <laughs> human beings. But it's kind of tapping into that when you're in the complete mode of ignorance. I sleep all day. I'm lethargic. Like, no, no, no. Ta break away from those modes and just do your duty and conquer that ignorance. Right. And I mean, I think it also just means like that he has a lot of knowledge. Mm -hmm. Like he, Arjuna is no ordinary person, right? And 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 the, what furthermore I find interesting in this text is that it says um, that uh, thus a devotee of Krishna can conquer both sleep and ignorance simply by thinking of Krishna constantly. This is called Krishna consciousness. Oh, That's beautiful that, right? to think devotees of the Lord are so conscious, so mindful and, you know, it's that connection with sleep. You know, when you first wake up in the morning and I call it brain fog, you feel groggy. If you stay in that mindset, you have brain fog throughout the whole day. You want to rise above that veil and have, as Priya said, that knowledge. Right. And I think the idea of like thinking of Krishna constantly, I think it sounds like, well, how do you do that? But think about it this way. Like <clears throat> if you've ever, sorry for that. If you've ever um, been in a relationship and you start the relationship. When you're starting the relationship, you're so attached to that other oh, the person. butterflies. Yeah. Whether it's romantic or friendship or whatever. And you're like wondering like, oh, I wonder if they're free to hang out right now. Or I wonder if they're hungry. Maybe I can, you know, we can eat together. Or I wonder, right? Like this they're idea that they're thinking. constantly in your mind, right? And I think that that it, it doesn't have to be romantic. It doesn't have to be. But like the idea of always thinking of Krishna is kind of what Krishna consciousness means. Right. right. You can spiritualize any activity, anything you do, you can connect it to some transcendental purpose. Yeah. And I think I'm going to mention a story if you guys don't mind. Yeah, it kind of goes a little bit outside of this story. But um, I remember I never really f thought too much about what Krishna consciousness meant because if you, there's many ways in which we can talk about like the bhakti yoga community, right? Like some people say the Hare Krishnas or the Krishna consciousness devotees. Like there's many ways and Krishna consciousness has been a term that I've heard a lot. And one time I heard in a lecture, someone asked, what does that mean? Right? Like what does Krishna consciousness mean? And the speaker said, well, let's say that you are really into um, like a race car. Like race cars in general or cars in general. Let's say you're really into cars, right? You're always thinking like, oh, wow, that's such a cool car. When you're driving, you see one, you're like, oh, I've never seen that one before. Or like, that's that model. Duh, 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 duh. Like you're like always thinking about it. Oh, next time, maybe when I visit this place, I'm going to go try to see this car because it's only made here. And the idea that you're so fascinated by something that it's always in your mind, that is consciousness, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the idea of Krishna consciousness is similar, right? Like always thinking about Krishna, like, oh, I'm going to go travel to Italy. I wonder if there's... Krishna temple there. I wonder if there's other people, right? Like the idea of always sort of bringing Krishna into your life is something that Arjuna is kind of an expert at. I love that. It's kind of a beautiful thought too, right? To live in that consciousness of something greater than yourself. And I think yeah. as you go through life and you deepen your spiritual connection, you start seeing the depth of what you just said, because 
that's a deep statement to constantly bring God, Krishna, center, and that can unfold in so many different ways. It's not like spirituality is out there in just a temple or a church, and then when I leave that, um, that's it. No, right. it's, it's everywhere in your moment-to-moment -moment decisions. How am I going to decide to respond or treat someone? And when you're tested, when it's not easy to show up in your best way, also, how I respond is Krishna consciousness. It's right. it's a very practical application. It's not something far out that I'm going to do a week and then that's it. I did my I did my views. Mm -hmm. you know? It's like being yeah. conscious for like the times where it's hard, the times where someone cuts you off in traffic, <laughs> the times where you know it's harder to be con like it's harder to be conscious of God, right? And, and and more divine qualities. And those times, yeah, in life where you think this cannot be happening, even more dive into the philosophy of. Love that. I love that. Yeah. All so right. Good. Text number 25. Oh, is that me? In the presence of Bhishma, <laughs> Drona, and all the other chieftains of the world, the Lord said, just behold, Partha, all the Kurus assembled here. Back to the imagery, right, of the two, the Pandavas, the Kurus all laid out. Arjuna wanted to see. Krishna took him there in the middle. And that's where we're at. And yeah. so Partha, Partha is um, a nickname that Krishna gives Arjuna, right? right and we'll right. see that nickname pop up a lot through right. the rest of the Gita. Basically means the son of Prita or Kunti. Got Did it. I pronounce it correctly? Yeah, yeah that's correct. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. Yeah, so we know who is Kunti. Kunti is the mother. The mother of Arjuna. Okay, cool. All right, sounds good. Us. So there's Grandfather Bhishma, Dronacharya, which is the teacher, right? Military the, the teacher military for teacher. both sides. All right. And Partha's Arjuna. Okay, got it. All right. There was a, there was a lot of names on that one. <laughs> there was. So text 26. 26. There, Arjuna could see within the midst of the armies of both parties, his fathers, grandfathers, teachers, maternal uncles, brothers, sons of grandsons, friends, and also his father-in-law and well-wishers. Okay, so this is a super, super important. Like, imagine you're in a war, and on the other side is your entire family. Like, everybody. That's kind of a crazy image. Definitely. And as a Satriya warrior, that is his duty. As we said, Kurukshetra is a holy site, and they're in a way fighting a religious war. So his duty, which they're very big on, you must do your duty, is to essentially fight and yeah, maybe your family. Kill your family members. That's that's wild. a lot to take in. Oh, it's a lot. Think about the layers of conflict that must be in his head, right? Mm -hmm. Like, there's like the layer of like these people are related to me, but these people haven't necessarily had my best interests. They've tried to kill me. They've, They've tried to kill yeah. me multiple times, but also like there's still not. I mean, like there's still people that I'm like I'm related I, to I, that mm -hmm. I maybe loved at one point. Yeah, these are people that trained me how to fight. Like in one sense, it's like. They've taught me everything in a sense, and mm -hmm. they've also tried to kill me, and they're also my relatives. And like, and even if they don't know better, shouldn't I know better? Because I'm a saintly person. So oh all of these God. things are running through his mind, all of these pulls. Talk about complexity. Oh, man. We're That's family drama. <laughs> We're about to almost get into a debate. Rajun is going to lay out his arguments, and it's, it's hard not to side with him. Yeah, he shouldn't fight. See how this plays out. All right. So he's seeing all of his family members, and it takes us to text 27. When the sons of Kunti, Arjuna, saw all of these different grades of friends and relatives, he became overwhelmed with compassion and spoke thus. 
All right. Well, well so no purport. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> Text 28. So Arjuna said, my dear Krishna, seeing my friends and relatives present before me in such a fighting spirit, I feel the limbs of my body quivering and my mouth drying. Wow. So he's kind of going to start spiraling into a bit of a anxiety attack, existential crisis. He's the weight of what he's supposed to do, of what his dharma demands him to do is really weighing now. Right. I think uh, the, I, something I liked about the purport, it says, any man who has genuine devotion to the Lord has all the good qualities which are found in godly persons or in demigods. Mm -hmm. So therefore, like, he felt compassion even for the soldiers of the opposite party. Yeah. And that's that's kind of the opposite of Duryodhana's reaction, right? <laughs> Duryodhana's like, I'm going to kill all of them on the <laughs> other side. And Arjuna's like, literally, his body is reacting to, to, to the fear, right, of try, of killing his relatives. Right. Text 29. My whole body is trembling. My hair is standing up on standing on end. My bow, Gandiva, is slipping from my hand and my skin is burning. Mm. Okay, so this, so this, I love the purport in this where it's like there's two types of trembling in the body. One where you're like super excited and one where you're super scared. And he is uh, he's experiencing the latter. Mm. So crazy to think of like such a honorable honest good man like strong he can easily fight and, and win the, yeah he's the best archer like he's like amazing he, he i mean he should have all the confidence in the world but like it's more than that there's like mm -hmm. compassion mm -hmm. and like everything else and so he's afraid mm -hmm. you know yeah like that's because let's bring this again to a very real platform i feel like even hearing this there's a little disconnect because you might think oh it's just a story okay but no, no, no. Let's just really imagine what are the most things we all feel anxiety attacks over. And now imagine you have to kill your family. Mm -hmm. Yep. So mm. that's it's a pretty big reason to be scared. Actually. Yeah, he's, he's pretty justified. <laughs> yeah, definitely. All right. Text number 30. I am now unable to stand here any longer. I am forgetting myself and my mind is reeling. I only see causes of misfortune, O Krishna, killer of the Kishi demon. There's, there's a part here that says, when a man sees only frustration, he thinks, why am I here? Everyone is interested in himself and his own welfare. But Arjuna is not just thinking about his own welfare. I mean, he kind of is because he's kind of like, what am I going to do? I'm going to kill my family? Like, how is that going to, like, I'm not going to be happy about that, right? Like, he's definitely mm -hmm. thinking of himself. Um, but it, It's interesting here because... Right. Like Priya saying, he's not thinking of himself in the normal way, because here when they talk about the Supreme's interest, that is way macro broad picture. Yep. This war is happening for many reasons. Krishna knows he needs to get rid of the impious rulers. Krishna knows all these things that he really needs Arjuna to just do his dharma and carry out his transcendental plan. So it's natural, right? When I first read this, I thought, well, of he's going to be feeling and thinking this way it's his family so it's not ignorance in the normal way but it's maybe right ignorance of what's the transcendental plan mm -hmm. yeah and he's kind of thinking to himself because he's like even if i win this battle it's not going to be good for anybody it's going to be sad for me actually right. so why do right. it right like things aren't what they always appear so something that's bad on this plane you know it's not well, if it's for some reason that we don't know, the reason of the soul that goes beyond what we can even see, we don't always know the effects. Good and bad isn't always as it appears. <laughs> All right. Text All right. 31. 31. 
I do not see how any good can come from killing my own kinsmen in this battle, nor can I, my dear Krishna, desire any subsequent victory, kingdom, or happiness. Yes, yeah. This is in the purport that Krishna appears to forget that he's a Kshatriya. Kshatriya essentially means soldier, right? And I think right. he's forgetting his position of being a soldier. Soldiers Who is, Arjuna? For, yeah, Arjuna. Mm. Arjuna is essentially a, a soldier that, and his job or his mm -hmm. dharma is to fight for justice. And right. Because mm. yeah. the Gita is big on do your dharma. Most of us, our dharma is our work. We're students. That's that's our role. We do it to our best. But here, his dharma is, has pretty high stakes involved. Right. So he's kind of like... It says here, he has now decided to go in the forest and live a secluded life in frustration. He's like, I'd rather be frustrated. Yeah. Right. He doesn't live in a forest. Have how nothing. Many, how many of us, like after we've had a bad day, we're like, I'm just going to move to a different country <laughs> and start a new life by myself. I don't need anybody. Like I've done it before. <laughs> right. So he's going through that motion right now. All right. All right. Text 32 to 35. O Govinda, of what avail to us are a kingdom, happiness, or even life itself, when all of those for whom we may desire them are now arrayed on this battlefield? O Madhusudana, when teachers, fathers, sons, grandfathers, material uncles, father-in-laws, grandsons, brother-in-laws, and other relatives are ready to give up their lives and properties and are standing before me, why should I wish to kill them, even though they might otherwise kill me? O maintainer of all living entities, I am not prepared to fight with them even in exchange for the three worlds, let alone this earth. What pleasure will we derive from killing the sons of Dhritarashtra? Mm. So Arjuna's really going through like the pros and cons of actually killing his family members. And essentially he's like, what's the point? Like, what is the good that can come from this? Right. Like, even if I win and, and enjoy all the riches this world has to offer, what good will that be if I can't share it with my family? Mm -hmm. But there's an interesting part in the purport that says, at this point, he did not know that Krishna had already killed them before their coming into the battlefield and that he was only to become an instrument for Krishna. Now, that's a really deep statement because I feel that can be applied to any adversity, any even good thing that happens in our life. Sometimes we think, why did that happen to me? But like, like it says here, we don't know what is the transcendental plan. And maybe that person, that situation, they're just an instrument to give us and teach us so much more. So, Like Krishna says, all of this already happened. He needs Arjuna to step it up and do his duty so that a bigger purpose can, can be carried out. Yeah, I think it's, I mean, as a as a person, as a character in this book, it says, as a natural devotee of the Lord, Arjuna did not like to retaliate against his miscreant cousins and brothers, but it was the Lord's plan that they should all be killed. So it's kind of a conflict, right? Because he's like, I still don't want to do this, right? And um, that's actually a quality of a devotee. A devotee of the Lord does not retaliate against the wrongdoer, but the Lord does not tolerate any mischief done to the devotee by the miscreants. Got it. And so like Arjuna is literally pulling every single excuse out of his back pocket as to like not fight this war, right? <laughs> and he continues in text 36 and he says, Sin will overcome us if we slay such aggressors. Therefore, it is not proper for us to kill the sons of Drashtra and our friends. What should we gain, O Krishna, husband of the goddess of fortune? And how could we be happy by killing our own kinsmen? Right. So here he's basically considering that rather than killing his own kinsmen for he thinks is simply political reasons, it would be better to forgive them on grounds of religion and saintly behavior. So he's in a way turning the argument and to Krishna saying, no, it would be more religious that I don't fight. 
And like I said, it doesn't always appear that that's the course to go. Right. And I think, uh, and the reason why it's kind of not part of the reason why it's not the right way to go is because in Vedic like rules, there are six kinds of aggressors and there's a particular way in which we deal with them. And so that kind of is what goes into the poor part. It says the first kind of aggressor is a poison giver. The second one is one who sets fires to the house. So arsonist, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Basically. <laughs> um, a third one is one who attacks with deadly weapons. Fourth, one who plunders riches. So like steals wealth, right? Steals, yeah. Number five is one who occupies another's land. And number six is one who kidnaps a wife. Such aggressors are at once to be killed and no sin is incurred by killing such aggressors. And it's important to know that that was Arjuna's position. He's, you know, Satria. He's not just a Brahmana whose only duty is to be saintly. He's supposed to enact the law against miscreants and whoever deserves it. So those are the six that you mentioned are like the six no-nos. Like you can't right. do those things. <laughs> That's you know? right. Make Otherwise sure you, you don't do that. You'll get killed. Okay, right, got it. Right, okay. right, right. Yeah, and I think it's it's kind of a, like what Shamali was saying, there's sort of a, the right, like as devotees, like it literally says in the right before, the mm-hmm. quote I said right before was, and I'm just going to go back a second and say, it's the devotee of the Lord does not retaliate against the wrongdoer, but the Lord does not tolerate any mischief done to the devotee by the miscreants, right? So like technically as devotees of the Lord, we're not supposed to retaliate against any of these six, six things, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's good to understand that this is maybe for a particular type of person, mm-hmm. maybe a person that is in politics, right? right? Like someone who is the lawmaker, the the police officer, who upholds the justice, yeah. right? Those people, and so right. But since there's a little ambiguity, Arjuna is confused in what to do, or outwardly at least confused, and he says, "But O Janardan, although these men, their hearts overtaken by greed, see no fault in killing one's family or quarreling with friends, why should we?" Who can see the crime in destroying a family engage in these acts of sins? And that is text 3738. So he's like, he's pulling more arguments. He's like, why should we ruin families? Right. And I think in the next couple of verses, he talks about what it means to destroy a family. Because when you kill somebody, you're killing the father of a family, usually, or an uncle or a grandfather. You know what I mean? Right. In this purport, it does say obligation is actually binding when the effect is good. But when the effect is otherwise, then no one can be bound. So essentially, Kurukshetra, the whole war, it needs to happen. It will have good effects and people just need to carry out their duty. In this case, Arjuna. And he's considering all the pros and cons. Right. And I mean, is, they don't, he doesn't see a lot of pros. He's laying out some really good arguments. If I were didn't know what's to come, I'd be like, yep, makes sense what he's saying. I mean, of course, these are solid, moral, religious, spiritual arguments that he's considering all the angles. Up until now, it makes sense what Arjuna's fighting for. Mm-hmm. Right. So then we go to text 39. With the destruction of the dynasty, the eternal family tradition is vanquished, and thus the rest of the family becomes involved in irreligion. So this so is, is... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, this is interesting because you have here the family hierarchy with such weight and importance placed on the elderly that you see in like many Asian cultures, like the elder members here, it says in the purport, they're responsible for such purifying processes in the family. Mm-hmm. They're the upholders of, you know, they're little, they're, they're beacons of wisdom. They've made it so far. And I feel like that's something beautiful about this tradition that I feel we should all try to uphold nowadays. How often? I don't know. It's so easy to see in modern society. Eh, 
eh, what my grandma, my mom says, who We're cares? Gonna put her in Whatever. Home. Yeah. yeah. Th- you yeah. only find like Asian cultures, like the, the elder people are revered, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, the, the masters in karate, like the oldest ones are like given right. the most respect, you know? Right. And so basically it's saying that, um, if this happens, the elders will be killed and that's, um, that means that the family, the younger family members that remain may develop irreligious habits and therefore lose their chance for spiritual salvation. And so he's like, why would I do this? Like, this is going to ruin so many people. You know, there's no purpose for the elders to, you know, be killed. Hmm. Perfect. All right. Moving on to text 40. All right. When irreligion is prominent in the family, O Krishna, the women of the family become polluted. And from the degradation of womanhood, O descendant of Rishni, comes unwanted progeny. Ooh, that came from left field. All right, let's dive <laughs> let's dive deeper into this one. I just want to say that when he's saying Rishni, that's another nickname for Krishna. Okay. Right? Gotcha. Like there's gonna be just a lot of nicknames. Um Okay, yeah. so what does this mean? Like the women of the family become polluted and then there's unwanted progeny. So just context we're talking about, right? If all of the pious, good, strong men are destroyed, the family unit crumbles, where are we at? Yeah, I think the the way that I make sense of it is if you can imagine 5,000 years ago, okay? Mm-hmm. So let's <laughs> set the scene here. Yeah. Um, if you can imagine 5,000 years ago and you imagine, let's say all the pious men are killed, right? And now we have a big population of unpious men the and evil we have, men, yeah. yeah, very evil men. And we have women who are now not protected. Now we have to understand that part of the Vedic culture and, you know, what we understand is that men are to protect women. Right. Women, women are, are seen as mothers, as sisters sacred. and like you're supposed to protect and, you know, provide. And so, um, if these evil men are the ones that are left behind and women don't have are unprotected, what could happen? And I'm not saying that it's the, the, the only way, right. But what could happen is that out of necessity, they like, this is just kind of painting, um, an example. These women might lead towards or go towards prostitution, right? right. How else are also they supposed to provide for their family and right. provide for their children? Yeah. And so what might happen in this case, and what I think sort of the context of this is saying is that if you imagine that these women who are good women are left to prostitution and they, that's what they have to do for their families and so on, the evil men that are left behind, if these women get pregnant, these children will not be taken care of either. Mm-hmm. The progeny is, it's not, un, it's not wanted, right? And because of these difficult situations that they're in. So this, the, the idea of, you know, all these pious people being killed, that's the defense Arjuna is saying. He's like, I cannot go into battle and all these pious people are going to die. Then what happens to the women? What happens yeah. to the right. children? Like, how yeah. do we protect them? Because mm-hmm. ultimately he's explaining and breaking down the ripple effects that happen from the breakdown of the family unit. And then you kill all the pious men that provide for their families and just, yeah, all the downfall from there. Evil men roaming the planet. <laughs> oh, good. All right. Text, text number 41. So an increase of unwanted population certainly causes hellish life, both for the family and for those who destroy the family tradition. The ancestors of such corrupt families fall down because the performances of offering them food and water are entirely stopped. So he's talking about the consequences of killing the family. It's like people go to hell, right? Like he doesn't want to go to hell, right? And so he's also like looking out for himself too. He doesn't want to destroy family units. Yeah. And he's also kind of saying like, imagine the life of that. And I'm I'm not trying to bring it back again, but like the prostitute with the unwanted child, like who is 
suffering for, from this situation. The woman is suffering, the child is suffering, and the man that created this child is also suffering, thinking like, oh, I have a child out there, whether he's responsible or not, right? Mm -hmm. Like, And so it's yeah. like, it's creating a hellish life. Mm -hmm. Right. right, because as they, the saying goes, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. And all of these like kings in the battlefield, they were surrounded by their advisors, by people helping them grow and succeed. So it's just that foundation would crumble. Yeah, I think they, they're also mentioning like uh, they're mentioning offering uh, foods to their ancestors or like the, the ones people who die. And, and there's kind of a bit of information here on the purport. Um, it says when... Remnants of prashadam, so like food that is uh, offered to God, is offered to the forefathers by their descendants. The forefathers are released from ghostly or any other kinds of miserable life, right? So if they're kind of... Right, that's kind of tapping into the tradition of, of giving offerings. But one important side note is that one, it says one who's engaged in devotional life or a devotee of the Lord isn't required to perform such actions because we rely and put our faith in the Lord and we don't need to do all of these other ones. And we perform devotional service. Right. And that's kind of the most important thing. All right, Priya, take us to text 42. By the evil deeds of those who destroy the family traditions, thus give the rise to unwanted children. All kinds of community projects and family welfare activities are devastated. Yeah, there's no one looking out for the kids, right? Yeah. There's no one looking out to protect them. Right. I'm just going to read this sentence real mm -hmm. quick. It means, it says, the breaking of the Sanatan Dharma, right, which we talked about before, which is this like mood of service and serving others, um, tradition by irresponsible leaders of society brings about chaos in that society. And consequently, people forget the aim of life. Yeah. Oh, wow. That sounds like a modern commentary on our social status of corrupt leaders everywhere. Yeah. People <laughs> running around. What is the aim of life? What am I doing here? It's true. Right. Yeah. And, and it, it kind of ends that sentence with Vishnu, which is another name for Krishna. So Krishna mm. is the aim of life. Mm. Beautiful. Oh, All right. Text 43, O Krishna, maintainer of the people, I have heard by a dyslipic succession that those whose family traditions are destroyed dwell always in hell. So basically, he's like, I heard that um, if I do this, I'm pretty much guaranteed to go to hell. <laughs> yeah. And so he's like, that's another reason why not to do yeah. it. Yeah, he's got a lot of good arguments. I'm on Arjuna's side right now. <laughs> right. Honestly, yeah. I mean, he's winning the debate so far, but we have yet to hear from him. That's true. Text 44. So alas, how strange it is that, they, that we are preparing to commit greatly sinful acts driven by the desire to enjoy royal happiness. We are intent on killing our own kinsmen. So he's considering all the angles. I don't, that's not even why they want to fight this war, but he's really putting themselves down. Are we so, we just want happiness. I can't enjoy happiness without the family. Yeah. And he's kind of like thinking like, um, you know, there's many people like, Hitler, who would have no problem killing for the sake of him obtaining something. But Arjuna's not that kind of guy. Nope. Like he's a really nice guy. So, Text, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Text 45. Better for me if the sons of Dhritarashtra, weapon in hand, were to kill me unarmed and unresting on the battlefield. Mm, so it just says all these symptoms are due to his soft heartedness resulting from his being a great devotee of the Lord. Yeah. Right. Like in, in the Chatria, like Prince, so Chatria is like are the fighters, the right? The soldiers, yeah. Um, you're not supposed to attack someone who's unarmed or unwilling. Uh, mm -hmm. But Arjuna's like, listen, I will not do anything. They can come at me. I will do nothing. I won't kill them. I'll nope. take my knapsack to the forest. <laughs> you will find me there. <laughs> That's what he wants to do. You know, when you're like a kid, I'm escaping from home. Bye. 
<laughs> and the final text of chapter one, text 46, Sanjaya said, Arjuna, having thus spoken on the battlefield, cast aside his bow and arrows and sat down on the chariot, his mind overwhelmed with grief. Oh, wow. So he's just totally not going to fight. He laid out his arguments to the Lord, combating social arguments, moral arguments, spiritual ones. He tackled them all. He's considering everyone. And right now, I would say we're all pretty convinced. And yeah, okay. makes sense, Arjuna. 100%. <laughs> but I think there's like, there's one really important thing. And it's Siddiq here in the purport. It says like, he is sitting down. I think he's kind of like, why would I do this? But he's still open to listening to what Krishna has to mm, say. Yeah. Right? Mm. Tying he's it back to that mood. He's a hearted person. He's in a devotional mood and listening. And he really wants to receive this mm-hmm. knowledge. Love that. And right. that's what we're going to get into. In the next episode, we are going to start chapter two. So thank you so much for listening, everybody. Join us for the rest of the story. All right. Talk Thanks to you everybody. Soon. Bye.